Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. This podcast hosts the weekly Sunday message from Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York, pastored by Mark Scorsone. We hope this resource encourages, challenges, and helps you on your journey with God. So whether you're driving, washing dishes, or sitting in your living room, let's prepare our hearts together as we hear the Word. So this morning, just open up your little classroom minds here with me and track with me. Um, uh, on this whole thing on identity. Who am I? So the title of my, my, my message is Mirror, Mirror. That uh, um, I, I, I caught one of my boys, or well, actually I've caught all my boys at one time or another in the bathroom looking at the mirror, looking at themselves, doing what? Making crazy faces. You know, all these type of things. And I have to admit that I still do that too. Just something about a big mirror that, you know, and the older you get, you're like. Amen. And hair starts popping out of places. And the mirror is very revealing, isn't it? Sometimes too revealing. And the old Disney movie on Snow White, I believe, where the witch was like, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? She was asking a question. She was looking for a response because she wanted to know how she ranked, how she added up. Where does she fall into this identity thing, right? She was asking the mirror to reveal to her who's the fairest of them all, hoping that it would be her. But when she got the revelation that it was somebody else, what happened? All these insecurities and all this evilness just... But it's the same question that don't we ask ourselves when we look in the mirror? At times, or they bombard our mind, like, who am I? Where, what am I here for? What am I doing? How do I belong? These are the kind of things that, that go through my mind. How do I rank? How do I stack up to others? It's this ongoing comparison that we battle with all the time. Does anybody else battle with that, that, that comparison of others and, and, and different things like that? And so, and I don't know why we as believers struggle with that. I don't think we should, but we do. And I, uh, like I said, I, I'm in this with you, this journey of identity, uh, you know, being a Christian for as long as I have, I'm always working on trying to know fully who I am in him, because that is the secret to being a Christian. That is the secret in walking in the authority that God has given us. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10, and hopefully this morning, Remind myself and remind you of who we are. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, that scripture alone should excite you. That scripture alone should just like, wow, this is cool. How can I be a part of that? And that little challenge at the end, you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're going to get into that because it really ties in to this whole foundational thing of who we are and what are we here to do. So Peter here is kind of, he's not kind of, he's identifying who you are as a Christian. This, if you call yourself a Christian, this is the identity that you have. And not only who you are, but what 
you are here as a Christian to do. But the sequence is very important. The past couple weeks, we've been hearing about sometimes we get the what ahead of the who. And we get the sequence out of order, and we try to figure out what we're doing, what are we here for, and we forgot out on who we are and being in Christ and walking in that fullness. So we're going to talk about that. So Peter lays out five things. You're all familiar with the Scripture. So number one is that you are a chosen race. All right? Now, I know this talks about corporate identity. Uh, He's talking about the church as a whole. He's talking about the true Israel, Old Testament, that you are my chosen people. So I want to get this out of the way because it also uh, ties into the fact of an individual side of it that we are chosen not because of our race, because this isn't racial. All right? I want to get that out of the way right from the start. It's not because of the color of our skin or the culture we're in. It's because of chosenness. Now, some of this, I hope it impacts you like it impacts me. It's not a chosen race that we're not getting into any of that stuff that our culture is all about right now. It's not any of that. It's because he chose you. That's it. We are a chosen people because he's taken people, individuals from all sorts of race and cultures and bringing them together and saying, you are my people. Not because of anything you can attain, not because of any value you bring to me, not because of any, anything that you can do. It's because I choose you. Can anybody give me an amen for that? Thank you, Jesus, that you chose me, not because of anything I bring to the table or anything that I can manufacture, but you chose me. Ephesians 1 talks about before the foundation of the world, he called us. When we were in our mother's womb, he formed us. He knew us. So he did that for a purpose to be used by him, and we'll get into that. But we have to understand why we are chosen. It's not a racial thing at all. And see in verse 11, he says, I urge you as alien and strangers to live in the world. I know you guys feel like an alien and stranger sometimes walking around like, what have I got myself into? Dark is getting darker, light is getting lighter, and the gray area is getting narrower and narrower. May we be the light in a dark world. What he gives us is not in our color or culture, but chosenness. Is that even a word? I don't know. Chosenness. And this spoke really to me and to Katie when we adopted Kyle. We've always had it in our heart to adopt when we first got married, and uh, we started that track when we were struggling with infertility. But when we finally adopted Kyle, something happened in my mindset to this whole spirit of adoption and what that does, because you take the bloodline out, but the the things still connect because it's just awesome what adoption is. Anybody been a part of adoption, either on either end? Just the strength of being adopted, being brought in to a family and receiving all that inheritance, receiving all the rights, receiving everything that that family has. And it's interesting because we had to write out toward, for the birth mom, we had to write out all this stuff on why we think we would be good parents to your child. 
And I think if any biological parent had to do this, none of us would have any kids. I mean, just the stuff you have to jump through to be an adoptive parent, we make it far too hard in America with all these kids that need home, and that's a conversation for another day. But we had to, you know, write up all this stuff. We had to get background checks and fingerprinted and had to be interviewed by lawyers and all this stuff. And it's just like, wow, would any biological parent want to do this? And it's just crazy what you have to go through. But the biological mother sat there and read the different ones that the agency brings to her, and she chose us. I don't know why she chose us. She could have chosen this couple or that couple, but she chose us, never met us, because we wanted to choose her son that now became our son. So that whole thing on chosen is really a powerful word, and it just needs to work into the basement that he chose us. Bottom line, the argument ends there, and I'm going to harp on it hopefully to, 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 to beat into your head, to get into the, the soil of your heart the way that I feel like the Holy Spirit's been doing that to me the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing this. That He chose us, not because we belong to any group or on any other basis. And that's why this, it's so amazing that this whole race thing is built in on so many individuals from all cultures and colors, and, and he's bringing us all together for the army of the Lord. He chose you. So go home, look in the mirror, and say, I am chosen. Don't, don't turn to your neighbor, because I've heard that you guys don't like that. So I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor anymore. And the one person that really argued with me about it was Jim Kerr. He's not here. He's on vacation. But I told him, I said, next time, Jim, we're all going to point to Jim Kerr and say, Dot, dot, dot. All right? <laughs> but go home, look in the mirror, and say, I am chosen. Go home and look in the mirror and say, I'm a royal priest. Go home and look in the mirror and say, I am holy. Boy, it'll, it'll start messing with you because all this is because of God. We haven't earned it. There's no value in me. There's no conditions that I can meet. It happened before I was born. I stand in awe of it. I tremble in the joy of it. And I long to be faithful in its purpose. He chose me. He chose you. For what purpose, we'll find out. Number two, you're a royal priest. Continuing in verse 9. Now that we're chosen, now we're royal priest. And the point here is that we have immediate access to the Father. Amen. We have immediate access to Jesus. No appointment necessary. Because he chose you, because he's bringing you into this priestly service, he says, you can come to me at any time. We don't have to have a mediator. We don't have to go to confession to, to talk to somebody else to get forgiveness of our sin. God brought the only mediator that we ever needed. His name is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross Amen. to set, to break the veil, to give us direct access to one and only true God. And if we only knew the strength of that, we would walk differently in our daily routines. We would act differently. And I'm talking to myself as well. See, the enemy wants to keep us in this lie, and I'm gonna talk about this in a couple weeks, the lies of the enemy that wants to keep bombarding our minds against the truth of God's will, that if we knew who we were in him, we would walk differently, we would act differently, we would be different in all that we do. And I know that we do it in stages and sometimes we, we, we experience 
because of the confidence that we have, but I want it to be a full-time thing because that's what our call is, to be a full-time priest ushering in his presence. We are always in God's presence. Did you realize that? I know, I know that we kind of know that and, and maybe preaching to the choir to some of you, and, and, but we know that we're always in God's presence, but there's times where we sense his presence more, like in worship here or, or in our own quiet time or just an experience happens. We sense his presence more, but we are always in the presence of God because he chose us. Because we are a royal priest, we have access to him 24-7. We are in his presence. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. So now we're called to minister in that presence. This priestly service that he's called us to do. And if you look at Romans 12, where you see the services of God, of how we're supposed to uh, just our spiritual uh, acts towards the Lord here, it says that, that our life is either of spiritual worship, service to God, or our character is out of order. And so you're going to hear a couple times this morning that if we get some of this stuff out of whack, that must mean our character has drifted. Things aren't lining up the way His Word has asked us to line things up. I don't want to be out of character with what God's put in my heart. I want people to look at me and say, there's integrity, there's character because of some of the things that I've gone through that you've gone through. People are watching. I can't tell you how importantly that people are watching what the church is doing today and how you live your life outside these walls when you walk out this building. So we're chosen, we're a royal priest. And now number three, you are holy. That doesn't even sound right, does it? You are holy. Look in the mirror, you're holy. I'm only holy because he is holy. Because of what he did on the cross. And if we can get some of our pride out of the way and realize that we have been set apart, chosen by God, that we're not a part of the world anymore. That's why he's asking us as aliens and strangers to live in the world. That's why you can't do some of the things your, your friends do. That's why you can't watch some of the things that other people watch. That's why you can't be involved in some of the things your friends are involved in because God has set you apart for such a time as this. It's not a self-righteous thing. Do you hear me? It's not, well, you're, you're doing that, you're watching that. Well, I would never watch that. It's not any of that. We don't put any of that on people. God has set you apart. He has chosen you. He's made you a royal priest. You are now holy. So because he is holy, you are holy, and our life should reflect that. Isn't that what a mirror does? We are supposed to be imitators of Christ and reflect his goodness. We are his. So our life should reflect that. Is this making any sense? Our identity is the holiness to the Lord, and so we are holy. We actually contradict the very essence of being a Christian if we don't walk in holiness. Let that sink in. That God has called us to be like him. We actually contradict his holiness when we act out of our flesh. 
And I'm not saying that we need to be perfect, but I think we need to just have a different perspective on the high call of God on our lives. That we're set apart for such a time as this. Not for perfection, but for His glory to be manifested through us. Because of our identity in Him, we can reveal who He is. Number four, you are God's possession. Amen? This is so important, it's spoken to twice here in verse 9 and also in the beginning of verse 10. You are a people of God's own possession. And then it says, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Man, how to be a wanderer and then all of a sudden you're told you're, you belong to God. How reassuring is that? And so if, you know, God owns everything anyways, Right? So what is real special about this statement? God, you own everything. Yeah, I'm your possession. I think what he's trying to, what Peter's trying to convey here is that we are his inheritance. I I need more than one amen on that. We are his inheritance. Everything he has belongs to us. That's what separates. That's what makes this, this, this so special. You belong to me, and because you belong to me, you get everything that I have. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's got a lot, the cattle of a thousand hills. We are his inheritance. Second Corinthians 6, 16. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Talking of possession here. I will dwell with them and walk among them. We have a God that wants to hang out with us. We have a God that wants to interact with us. We have a God that wants to have a relationship with us. We have a God that wants to hear our hearts. We have a God that wants to be personal and close and cry out to him when we're struggling on our worst day. He wants to be with us when we're celebrating our best day. That's what kind of God we have. And that should put something inside of us that I got to tell somebody about my God. I got to let loose what's inside of me, the things that he saved me from, that he's called me into. I've been silent for far too long because we don't know who we are or what we're here for. It's fundamentally this, that he's shown us mercy in all this. And he wants to reveal himself in a personal relationship. So, we're chosen, we're royal priest, we're holy, we're God's possession. Now get a load of this one. Number five, we are pitied. Is that right? We're pitied. That's the best English word that we have to describe the Greek verb on mercy. God had pity on us. Aren't you glad he did? He saw me in my gook, my gunk, my, my brokenness, my dirtiness, my ugliness. And thank the Lord he had pity on me. Had pity on you to say, I got an answer. My son, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. He had pity on us. 
And that same word, that synonym there, it feels sorry for, to have pity for, to feel for, to feel sympathy for, sympathize with, have sympathetic feelings towards, to empathize with, to have compassion for, to be compassionate towards, have pity, to move, to bleed for, to have your heart go out to, to weep and to grieve. Did we experience any of that this morning? Could you just feel that? My heart goes out to Pastor Maka. Can't imagine the grief he's feeling right now. But see, p- the, that word pity, can, when I first read it, it's like that's a negative connotation. But it's not. It's the, it's the best word to translate what Peter is trying to tell us here. It, it's like the word mercied, that God had mercied on us, that he has mercy for us. And whenever you've been given a lot of mercy, you have that same mercy given to other people. All of you in this room, whenever God has used you to minister to a broken person, to a hurting person, to a lost person, to a desperate person, that same compassionate pity feeling comes out of your heart for them. Doesn't it? Oh, I want you to feel, I want you to receive, I want you to have what I had. When God had pity on me, when he took me in my state and brought me out and didn't leave me there, you, you feel compassion for, you empathize with, you hurt for, you bleed with. You feel on so many different emotions. That's the people of God loving people. Because of the mercy he's given us, we can freely give that mercy to others. Amen? So it's not bad to have him pity us. And I'm glad that he has. Because it leads to this because being a person of mercy and that has mercy put on us, it tells us that we don't get our identity from our actions. We get our identity from him acting on us, on our behalf, and having pity on us, that he would send his son to the cross to die for us. I know this is really nothing new to a lot of us, but man, we need a reminder of the awesome working power of the cross and what it means to be in the family of God that he chose us. Because your identity leads to your destiny. Amen? It has to. Because we've been showed mercy, he acts upon us. And so we can ask the question, Who are we? And it leads to the direct question of, what am I here for? God, I know I'm in you. I know I belong to you. I know I have all these things, and we list them out. So something rises up inside of you, says, all right, what am I here to do now? Do you get that count? Do you get that, 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 that understanding that because he chose us, because he's done all this stuff for us, it's not just for us to sit on our laurels and do nothing. It's for us to walk in our purpose of why he's breathing in us, why we're breathing on the face of the planet, why we go through what we go through. It's all for a reason. So how do we get this identity? Real quick, we get it from God. It's obvious, right? He gave it to us. It's in our relationship to him. So we are chosen by God. We are invested as royal priests by God. We are set apart as holy by God. We are possessed by God. And we are pitied 
by God. All for the sole purpose of this, him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the reason he chose us. That's the reason he's done all this stuff, to reveal himself in us so we can reveal to the world who he is. Because we were once in darkness, but now walk in the light. Nothing of self-righteousness in here at all. It's all because of the end-working power of the cross in our lives. There's no pride in any of this. It's all because of sonship and daughtership of belonging to him. And I hope this is going into the basement of your heart. So God gave us this identity, but this is the reason why he gave it to us. First of all, he wants you, amen? Go home and look in the mirror and say, you want me. Well, that would kind of look weird if you... But it's because of the irresistible call of God on your life that he is doing this. He gives you this identity because of the call of God, the purpose that he has in your life for this time. The irresistible drawing of the call of God, your identity leads directly to your destiny. This is the reason why we exist, that we may declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you get it? Do you get what I'm trying to say here? Do you get the foundation I'm trying to build? That because of all this, we get to declare the goodness of God to those who don't know what we know. And again, there's no self-righteousness in any of this. It's all because of the work that he's done in our life the desperation, the healing, the hope that he's given us that we can tell a dying world. Don't miss out on this. Come, hear what I know. Not because of who I am, but because who he is. And this happens. It happens in our worship services. It happens in our small groups. It happens in your workplace. It happens a thousand different times on the way he uses your personality and the different things that that come up during the day and the nights that we can declare the wonders of God's goodness because he's called us out of darkness into light. Who are we to keep that to ourselves? How dare we keep it to ourselves? And I know some people, I don't want your Jesus stuff. Well, then just love on them. Let your life act it out. Forget the words. One guy said a while back, let your life preach at all times and when, possible, when, when you need to use words, something like that. Let our lives act it out. God is so good. That's my philosophy of ministry when I was talking with the elders when I first came. You know, I think they asked, you know, what's your philosophy of ministry? Well, being an Elam Bible Institute graduate, here's my philosophy of ministry. Here's 42 pages on my dissertation. My philosophy of ministry is simple. Get the world out of, get out of the world salvation. Get the world out of you, discipleship, mentoring so we can go back into the world evangelism. 
That's exactly what Peter is talking about here. Exactly what he's talking about. Because we're defining this whole question of self-concept and self-identity and how do we view ourselves. It's an important question, but we hear it an awful lot, don't we? And I'm hoping this morning that, that Christian selfhood is defined in the terms of who we are and of ourselves. It's not all about us. Is that making any sense? It's about what he's done. So it's defined in the terms of what God has done to us, get out of the world, salvation, the relationship he creates with us, get the world out of us, and the destiny he appoints for us so we can go back into the world. Who wants to be a part of that? And how many of you know that sometimes getting the world out of us takes a little bit longer because flesh wants to be flesh? But we don't belong to ourselves. We belong. We are his possessions. We exist for God. For him to do his goodwill, his pleasing, to use us and do with us on however he pleases. We are not our own. John Piper says it like this. The very language of our identity in this text necessitates that God be included as the one who acts. Our identity is not an end in itself, but for the sake of priestly service, which Peter defines as proclaiming, declaring the excellencies of the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Getting the point here that we're chosen for a reason? Our identity, the bottom line to this, the reason that we need to know our identity in him is that his identity might be declared through us. Bottom line, the partnership that he wants to have with us is so mind-blowing to me. It's so mind-blowing to me. Why would he want to use me? Why would he want to use you in, in all of our weaknesses and all of our frailties? It's mind-blowing to me. You know, because, you know, I've, I've been in charge of things, I've done things, and, and I'm teaching my son, I put on Facebook, he's driving the tractor and cutting the grass, and there's mohawks here and mohawks there, and part of me, because I love my lawn, I love the cross-cutting and the meticulous and the, you know, two inches and cut it, and, you know, just a real, I, I love how my lawn looks after I cut it. And, but after he cuts it, there's like mohawks and different things like that. And, but I'm training him to, to, to do it. And if I wanted to do it, you know, I could do it and do it the way that I want to do it. But it's not helping him. God could do this and it'd be perfect. But he wants to use us. That's what's mind-blowing to me. Lord, do you know what I struggle with? Do you know what goes on on a daily basis? Do you know the heaviness? Do you know? Yes, I do and I still choose you. This is what we gotta be saying in the mirror every morning, every day. He chose us, not because of anything we bring to the table. I know I'm repeating myself, but it's just so freeing that he chose us so he could reflect his glory through us to a people that are longing for truth and we sit here with truth on our lap. How dare we? God help us. God made us who we are. And Andrew, you can come back up and the team. 
God made us who we are, who we are so we could make known who he is. To me, that takes the mind-blowing thing that I struggle with and say, what an honor that you are asking me to do. That he wants to make known his glory through me. Say that in the mirror. It'll change your perspective, folks. It'll change the way you think about yourself. It'll change how you feel on a daily basis if we get this into the basement of our hearts, of who we are. Our identity is for the sake of making him known is his identity. The meaning of our identity is that the excellency of God can be seen in us. That's why people ask you, I know you're struggling with this cancer, this hardship, but how can you be so strong? How can you have that smile? How can you portray strength in the midst of all this hardship? It's because it's the excellency of God going through you because you have his identity. Does that make sense that some of the stuff that we go through and some of the things that we face, there's a purpose for the pain? Amen. So being a Christian and making the greatness of God known is really identical. Let that sink in for a little bit. It's all the same. And again, we do it in our church services. We did it here this morning. We have an awesome bunch of worship leaders making their own CDs and stuff like that. We've got some great talented people. But none of that is even on his radar. He wants to make himself known through us. He wants to use your personality. He wants to use everything that you've gone through, everything that you're going through. And he wants to partner with you so he can be glorified. Christ be magnified in the altar of my life. May Christ be magnified. I'm gonna end with a story of Douglas Nichols. In 1967, he was over in India. He's the International Director of Actions International Ministries. But he caught tuberculosis TB and was in one of the hospitals there for several months. He was a missionary with Operation Mobilization when he got TB. And while he was in the, in the hospital for months, he tried passing out his Gospel of John tracts to people that were sick and struggling with very different diseases and some TB and some others. But nobody would read or pick up any of these tracts. They just thought he was a rich kid from America. One night he woke up early in the morning and he heard an old man crying and whimpering and looked over and he was trying to get out of bed. The old man couldn't stand up, so he laid back down in bed. And in the morning, the stench of him not being able to make it to the bathroom reeked throughout the whole ward to the point where the nurse was so distraught with him and upset with him that she slapped him across the face. And so the next night, he woke up again coughing. Doug woke up and he heard the man crying, trying to get up out of bed. 
and in his own weakness and sickness, Doug got up out of his bed, walked over. The man cowered in fear, thinking he was going to be hit again. Doug picked him up, both of his arms, carried him to the bathroom, which was literally just a hole in the ground. Cleaned him up after he went to the bathroom, brought him back, put him in bed. The man kissed him on the cheek as he put him down. Early the next morning when the patients were waking up, Doug woke up to a steaming cup of tea made by another patient in the hospital. Giving him the tea, the guy motioned because he couldn't speak his language to the Gospel of John track. And throughout the entire day, people kept coming up and grabbing his booklet even though he could not speak their language. So in other words, to declare the excellencies of God, the best way to do it is to act it out. In his own sickness, in his own struggle, he picked up a man that no one would touch and helped him. Instead of trying forcing the Gospel of John or trying to hand out tracts and doing the missionary thing, he acted out the glory of God to a hurting person. And people were eagerly open to the Word of God after that. So what are we acting out? Will you stand with me this morning? Who we are is for the sake of God. God made us who we are, and we should show the world who He is. What an honor that is. Isn't it, folks, that we get to show the world who Jesus is because of our identity in Him? If you don't hear anything, go home with that. Let that just marinate in your heart throughout the week, and as you look in the mirror, make faces. Don't take yourself seriously, but speak truth when the enemy wants to kind of throw lies at you, like you screwed up again, you blew it again. We know all that. It's ever before us. But he's revealing his goodness to us this morning because he chose us. He's made us royal priests. We are holy because he is holy. We belong to him. And being a part of an Italian family, when you belong to the family, you don't mess with the family. And the same with the family of God. No one messes with our family. We are there for one another. We have pity for one another. We're not judgmental. We're not quick with our accusations. But may we have pity on one another because we don't know what you're going through. God help us. God gave me this, I believe, just to lay it out as we close these four things, that we've been adopted into the family of God, which gives us our identity of who we are in Christ, which gives us immediate access and a road of intimacy with God the Father for the sole purpose of possibly being the person that introduces someone to Jesus. We hope this message has encouraged and challenged you in your walk with God. This podcast is a resource of Zion Fellowship, a spirit-led and life-giving local church in Canandaigua, New York. 
you would like to learn more about us, visit us on our website at zionfellowship.net. Blessings to you as you continue your day.